I'm going to invite uh, Elizabeth Kendall up to read scripture this morning. Uh, you can either follow along in your bulletin uh, or in your Bible. We're going to be uh, reading uh, from Hebrews chapter 1 as we begin a new sermon series. It'll be Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Elizabeth. So I'm so excited, you guys. Even though it's Labor Day weekend, we're going to begin this series on the book of Hebrews. I was talking to Matt Watts uh, last week, and he said, Hebrews is my favorite book. And this morning, we want to introduce you to the book of Hebrews by going through the first four verses of chapter one. But let me illustrate what I think the book of Hebrews is about and why it's so important for all of us in this church at this particular season and this moment. When I was in high school, uh, my sport was track and field. I uh, wasn't that great at football, baseball, basketball, but I was a miler, and that was my sport. In my junior year, I had a conversation with my coach. His name was Coach Trim. He was about this high, a lot, lot taller than I was. But in my junior year, I got this idea that I wanted to drop out of running, I wanted to drop, I wanted to leave the team, I wanted to drop out of track and field, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to get a job. I wanted to go just make money while I was in high school and work after school, and so I stood next to Coach Trim, and I said, Coach, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop off the team. He said, why are you gonna do that? And I said, well, because I wanna get a job. And Coach Trim had this conversation with me that was life-changing for me because he said, Mike, he said, you're gonna be able to work the rest of your life, but you're not gonna have another opportunity to do what you're doing here. And my, my dad was a little bit absent from my life. I didn't have anybody speaking into my life. I had already in, in ninth grade dropped out of Pop Warner football. And there was this pattern in my life of dropping out of things and, and quitting things. And on that day, Coach Trim said to me, he said, Mike, here's how, I, here's how I would like you to, what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to stick around. And I decided to stay involved with track and field and had a great junior year and a great senior year. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of times in life when you and I are, are tempted to maybe quit a job, to quit a ministry, we're tempted to, we're tempted to, to give up, on our marriage, we might be tempted to give up on our church. And what the, the book of Hebrews is specifically written for is those times in our life where we're actually tempted to give up on our faith. 
We're tempted to give up on following Jesus Christ. So I believe there are a lot of you in this room and a lot of you watching online who are facing the temptation in your life, or you will, to, to, uh, to drop out of the Christian faith. You're tempted, you're gonna be tempted to quit or, and quit in other areas in your life. The book of Hebrews was written for people who are tempted to quit. Here's what was going on. Every letter in the New Testament, every New Testament book has what they call the occasion for the letter. In other words, what was the reason for the writing of that letter? It's our understanding, though we don't know the author of the book of Hebrews, it's one of those books that doesn't have a name like Paul or Peter or James attached to it. We understand from listening to the story in the book of Hebrews and other things around the Bible that it was likely written during the 60s, maybe around or just before 64 AD. And it was written to believers who likely were living in Rome. Now what was happening in Rome at that time? Well in 64 AD, the Emperor Nero of Rome instituted one of the fiercest persecutions against Christians. And so what was going on is these Christians were in Rome were tempted to go back on their faith. They had come to believe in Christ, but they were tempted to give up because of the persecution coming from the Roman Empire. And it was like, it, you, the only analogy we, we might have today would be Afghanistan, in a country where the religious authorities are hostile to the Christian faith as well as other things, and you're persecuted for that. And so these believers would fear the seizure of their property, they would fear persecution, and maybe even death for their faith. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews was there, kind of like their coach Trim, who would come alongside them and say, I want you to stay in the game. I want you to keep running in the race. I know you're tempted to quit, but I want to come alongside you. Now this passage that we read was four simple verses, but what we will find in these verses is the reason that the writer to the Hebrews gave them one of the many reasons that they have for sticking to the Christian faith and to not drop out and to not quit. And the big reason is pointed to in verse four. If you look back at your bulletin and the verses that are there, notice verse four says about Jesus Christ having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It is the superiority of Christ. It is the uniqueness of Christ. It is who Christ is. That is the reason to stay true to the Christian faith. That is the reason to stay true to your marriage. That is the reason to stay true to, for Carly and Bowl, Carly and, Carly and Stephen Bowles to stay true to their vows about raising Claire. That is the reason that you and I stick with it is because of the person of Christ. And so what he does in this, in this passage is he says three things about Christ and these are the things you wanna get crystal clear, crystal clear in your life in order to finish the race and to not drop out of the race. And so the three things that we're gonna see in this passage, I wanna give, I'm gonna forecast, forecast those for you. The first thing is that Jesus First thing about Jesus is that he reveals. Secondly, he restores, and thirdly, he reigns in the sense of ruling. We sang, actually one of the songs we sang was about that, but he reveals, 
he restores, and he reigns. Now, let's talk a little bit about that first one that Christ reveals. I wonder if you've ever asked God in your life, uh, and, and specifically if you think back to that time when you were a, a non-believer or a new believer, and you've, say, and you've said to God, God, I would, I would believe in you if you would just speak to me, if you would reveal yourself to me. In some ways, when we do that, we're looking for a sign. So I say, God, if this light turns green, I will believe that you're there. If you heal my mother, I will believe that you're there. If you do these, and it's as if we're looking for a sign because we want so badly to understand and have God speak to us and to give us that assurance. One of the things that this says about Christ is that Christ reveals God to us. So has God ever spoken? How does God speak to us? I wanna give you four ways really quick that God speaks to to all of us. How can you know? You don't need to wait till that light turns green and you don't, need it to, you don't need to seek a sign. God has spoken to you in these ways. In fact, I want you to think for a second and think, have I ever, have I ever heard God's voice through one of these four ways? Are you ready? The first is through creation, through creation. It's the way God designed the universe Psalm 19 verse one says that the heavens are telling the glory of God and that the heavens are always speaking, they're always talking to us and that is why mankind throughout the centuries has been people who worship, who would think about God, who would want to know God because God has spoken through creation. But there's a second way that he's spoken to all of you. Think if you've ever felt this. He has placed in your heart a sense of right and wrong. He has placed his law in your heart. Even for somebody that's never seen the Bible, all over the world, anybody that's never even seen the Bible, this makes us different from the animals, makes us different from the plants. We have the image of God placed inside of us in the sense that we have a moral law or a sense of what's right and what's wrong. That was placed in you. Now we've corrupted that throughout the centuries, but God has placed that in you. He speaks to you through that moral law. Those first two, creation and the law of conscience, are what's known as general revelation, God revealing himself to all people in general ways. There's two other ways that God has spoken to you, though, and spoken to all of us. One is he's spoken to us through his word, the Bible. That's called special revelation. These are words that are from God, that explain the way of salvation, that explain what God is like, that explain the human condition. So you, if, if you have a Bible, you can thank God for that because those words are inspired by God. But then finally, the fourth way that he's spoken to the human race and to all of us is that he has spoken to people, to all of us, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God entered history he became a man in Christ on Christmas Day, the incarnation, and God has spoken in Christ. Those four ways of God speaking, I learned those in 1973 from uh, the book The Dust of Death by Oz Guinness, and those stuck with me over the years. God has spoken. Now that sets us up for what this passage says about how God has revealed himself. So take a look at Hebrews 1, beginning at verse 1. Look at what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What he's ta what's he talking about there? He's talking about the Old Testament, like the book of Exodus, which we went through. God has spoken to us 
through the prophets. He has spoken long ago in many ways and we have what he said in the Old Testament. But now look at verse two. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also, also he created the world. What do we just say? He's spoken to us through his word and he's spoken to us through his son in the person of Jesus Christ. God has spoken to you, he's spoken to you in Christ. It says in verse two, when did he do that? He's done that in these last days. A lot of people think that when you see the word the last days in the Bible, it's referring to like 2025 or something like that. No, the last days are the period of time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. These, this is the period of fulfillment of what God promised in the Old Testament. That's one of the ways we know that the Bible is true is that the Old Testament spoke of one who would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He would, he, the, the Old Testament spoke of one who would die on the cross and who would rise again. The Old Testament spoke about this one who would come and now that Christ has come, it is the last days and he has spoken to us in his son. He reveals, Christ is here because he reveals God and he reveals God perfectly. In Christ, what you see is what, what a person would look, what it would look like if God became a man. You would see his teachings, you would see his miracles, you would see his compassion, you would see his healing. You look at Jesus and you go, that is exactly what God is like. So look at what it says in verse three. Back to your bulletin. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the radiance, and so you can't, you wouldn't see the sun were it not for the radiance and the lights of the sun. And what this is saying is that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God. That is God's radiance coming through him. And then it says he's the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. Now what is that talking about? The word imprint in the original Greek language would be our word character. And what it was, it's like if you take out a coin, you got, you know, you've got a Jefferson nickel or you've got a John F. Kennedy silver dollar or you've got a Lincoln on a penny, what you've got is that Christ is the exact imprint. He is the perfect image of God. He is the imprint, the very character of God. You see that in him. And then he says it's the imprint of his nature the imprint of the nature of God. Now, I don't wanna just throw a bunch of Greek words around, I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not trying to impress you guys, but you know what I found out about that word nature? Uh, it's, there's a Greek word that's something like hypo, uh, hypostasis or something like that, can't even pronounce it. But I found out that that is the word where theologians get the idea of what's known as the hypostatic union. When we, you know, some of you guys might be thinking, gosh, how, if he was, was he man or was he God? Was he man or was he God? Well, you go through the Bible and you realize that Jesus Christ is the God man, that both a divine nature and a human nature are in one person, and that's what's meant by the hypostatic union. And that word comes from this word, the Greek word for nature. And what it's saying is that God has revealed himself in the person of Christ. Christ came. He taught, he gave his words to the apostles, the apostles wrote the New Testament, and so if you combine the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have the very words, you have the very trustworthy 
words of God. Now, why does this make a difference for you and me? Why does this help us to stay faithful to our spouses and to the church and to the Christian life, especially even in the worst of times, even with persecution? Why is that? Well, you know why? Because, what, because it's true. It's true. The reason that you and I stay faithful to Christ, number one, is that Christianity is true. The Bible is true. Christ is true. It is not false. It is true. But secondly, what it reveals to us is this amazing message of God's love and God's rescue and God's restoration of us. The Bible reveals not only who God is, but it reveals God's heart for us. I remember when I first started dating Molly, it was, uh, gosh, it was in, in our high school years and, or no, college years, excuse me, that was someone else. Anyway, college years, Molly and I were, uh, we were dating, but after college, she was going off to California for some job training and we had uh, gone on a date the night before and it was like snow was coming down and you know, we held hands, that was a really big deal. And, and then Molly took off. And I didn't hear from Molly for like two or three weeks. And I thought to myself, has she forgotten about me? How does she feel about me? I was thinking about her all the time, but I didn't know what she thought of me. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if she wrote me a letter? So then I got the mail one day, and I got this envelope that was like yay thick. It was like six pages front and back that Molly wrote just for me. And you know what she did too? She drenched it in perfume. <laughs> and I opened this up and I just hung on every word. It was so amazing for me because I couldn't be with her. I couldn't see her, but I had her word. I had what she wrote. And, it just, and I just read it over and over again and I smelled that perfume. Billy Graham said that the word of God, the Bible is dripping with God's love for us. And that's why we stay with it. It is true, but it also tells of his love. It tells of his care. So that's the first thing we see in this passage. Do you believe it? That Christ reveals God spoke to us in all those ways, but now he has finally spoken to us in his son. Let's go to the second thing that you see in this passage. First of all, God or Christ reveals. He reveals God to us, that's what we just read about. But the second thing is that he restores. Second thing is that he restores. I want you to look at this little uh, phrase that we see. Look at the rest of verse three. It says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now look at this next sentence, you guys. And making after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, a lot of you might look at that and say, gosh, Mike, that's a fine verse. It looks like some fine religious words. After making purification for sins. But it might seem abstract to you. You might wonder, well, how does that really apply to my life? In fact, you could very well ask, because Mark led us in confession, we talked about forgiveness of sins, we had a baptism, visible words, we're gonna have communion, and you might ask, why does Christianity 
make such a big deal about forgiveness and about sin and about words like purification. Why is that? Why does Christianity make such a big deal about sin and forgiveness? You know why? Because sin is the original pandemic. And it is not only the original pandemic, it is the worst pandemic. And sin has, the fall was in Genesis chapter three, and then in Genesis chapter four you had the first murder. And so all of the division, and all of the hatred, and all of the trafficking, and the slavery, and man's inhumanity to man, and all the rebellion against God, goes back to this pandemic of this original sin. And so it comes as good news to you when it says that Christ, after he made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. When we, when we first started Lake Baldwin Church, there were about 20 people involved. And uh, we were talking about the kind of church we wanted to be, and one of the things that Molly said was, well, we move forward as sinners. We're, we're a hospital for sinners, not a showcase for saints. That's a powerful thought. But then somebody else said something really cool that I, it took me years to unravel this, but she said, Mike, you are going to need to remind us of the gospel every week. You're gonna to need to remind us of the gospel every week because what it says in this passage is that when did Jesus make purification for sins? He did that on the cross, but then it says he sat down at the right hand of God, which meant that the work was finished on the cross, but now Christ is at the right hand of the Father and he exercises his priesthood on our behalf. He pleads for us. He's at the throne of God above and Christ is our high priest interceding for us at the throne of God, which means that as you and I encounter sin in our lives, when we, when we fall prey to that, that pandemic, we know that we need the gospel and the gospel is the cure for that. Now I've got a confession to make. I tested positive this past week. That's right, I tested positive. Not for COVID, but for sin. Sin was the original pandemic. It had, it's had so many variants, you wouldn't believe it. Anger and lust and selfishness and division and harsh words and all those things. And I tested positive this past week because I've got a part of my life, and I'm just gonna use the word because I think it's one of the, one of the most um, deadly variants of the pandemic of sin. And what I'm talking about is pride and self-righteousness in the human heart. What does it look like when I'm prideful? What does it look like when Mike Tilly is self-righteous? Well, it means I'm defensive, it means I have anger, it means I can't empathize, it means I can't see things from other people's perspective, it means that I'm always trying to win, all of those things. So what pride, what pride, what I've noticed that pride does, when, when I test positive for the pandemic of sin with a variant of pride, I lose my taste. I don't lose my taste for Mexican food or for hamburgers or for guacamole or anything like that, but I lose my taste for love. I lose my taste for empathy. I lose my taste for seeing things from other people's points of view. I lose my taste 
for spiritual growth in my life. I lose my taste for addressing my blind spots and I remain stuck. So one of the biggest challenges in the world today, in America today, in the church today, is for people to regularly be tested by the truth of God's word. Remember Christ as a prophet, but then also remember he is a priest. And so when I can just admit it, when I can acknowledge, when I can, and last week Bruce Wilson, he spoke on Romans 12, verse three says, don't be wise in your own estimation. Does God ever speak to you through that verse? It says, do not be wise in your own estimation. Put your name in there. Do not be, Mike, Tilly, do not be wise in your own estimation. You have pride, you have self-righteousness. Humble yourself, listen, realize that this is affecting you in your life. Oh, if we could see that, how many marriages could be healed? How many churches could be saved from division? How many friendships and relationships could be saved? if we simply applied the gospel. The good news, the good news is we can take that, God can expose pride, he can expose pride in my life. I can test positive, but I have the cure right at my disposal, it's right there. It's a home, home kit for healing and it is the good news of Christ that he made purification for sins and he has sat down at the right hand of God and so now I can dig down deep into my heart to the root of that sin and that pride and confess it to God and be forgiven for that and cleansed and the trust in the Holy Spirit to continue to change my heart. But I've gotta be vigilant about that and that's what the gospel does for us. It'll, those variants will keep coming at us but we need to treat them with the gospel. You guys, Christ not only reveals but he restores. And that is very good news for any of us in this room who tested positive for sin in some form this past week. You have a high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ who intercedes for you and you can claim that promise of forgiveness. Number three, here's what, what Christ does for us and it keeps us going. Knowing that it's true that he speaks to us, knowing that he restores and he forgives us so that we don't have to be separated from our most vital relationships and church and family. But thirdly, he reigns. Christ reigns and Christ rules in the world. It says in that passage, he says, it says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. He reigns and he rules. And you guys, that is so cool because we live in such a chaotic world. Remember what we said about these believers that were getting this letter. They were in Rome. They were under a hostile government. They were in a Taliban-like situation. They were gonna be per persecuted by the full power of the Roman government. Would they give up their faith? And then they read in this passage that Christ is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, that there is a greater king, there is a true king, there is someone greater than Nero that they can trust. There's no matter what happens, Christ reigns and Christ rules and he expresses his rule through the church and he wants to reign in your heart. And so that is so great. This past, uh, past three weeks, we've had our family visiting from Germany. Molly and I have five granddaughters now two of them who live in Germany, one of whom is six, one of whom is 11, and uh, we got to babysit for them the other night while Jonathan and Daniela went out, and uh, it was my job to put them to bed, 
And they said, well, what happens when we go to bed is you not only pray with us, but you've got to sing a song. So one, I thought, well, what song do I sing? And, and, and little Sophia, six years old, says, well, why don't you sing Jesus Loves Me? So one night I sang Jesus Loves Me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, those little girls, it's like, a, like, like the love letter I got from Molly. I mean, they are hearing the good news of Jesus by that song. Well, the, next night, the other night that we watched them, I had to come up with a whole different song. And I thought, well, what if we sang, he's got the whole world in his hands? Now, can you imagine how little girls growing up in a world like today that is so chaotic, the news is so bad, there's so many things going on, we have so much fear, and so what we get from the fact that Jesus Christ is the one and true king is that he upholds all things by the word of his power, including this church, including your life, including this country, including this world. He's got the whole world in his hands, and I don't care how chaotic it looks, that will not stop the advance of the gospel. That will not stop the advance of the church. And when the bulls are believing promises and kids are over there being taught and people are discipled in community groups and we gather for worship, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He upholds all things by the word of his power. You know what's so great about that? They, were, they had Nero. We at least have a free country. We at least have what we have. We're not in Afghanistan, but we have our trials. We have our things going on. We have our debates. We have areas where we're tempted to quit. But let me assure you of this. Based on the fact that Nero was their ruler and the writer to Hebrews could say that he upholds all things by the word of his power, do you believe this? Do you believe that there is no ruler in the world. There is no religious leader, there is no political leader who is so evil that he could stop the purposes of God. Do you believe that? Because Nero is not able to stop it. The Taliban can't stop it. All over the world you can't stop the spread of the church and the spread of the gospel. Bruce Wilson said last week, the third world. The church is even larger there. God is on the move. You can't stop it. There is no ruler, whether political or religious, that is so evil that they can stop the purposes of God. And second, you guys listen carefully to this. There is no ruler, there is no king, no political leader, no religious leader who is so wonderful that they deserve our allegiance more than God, that they would deserve our primary allegiance and our affections. Because the Bible says because Christ is king, it says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. You cannot serve both God and money. You should not put people, whether political or religious, on, on a pedestal. Christ is the one and true king, and that's what's, what this passage says. And if you believe he's got the whole world in his, in his hands, and if he has your allegiance, men and women, you do not need to quit the Christian life. You do not need to do that. It's bad out there, but you do not need to quit because he holds the whole world in his hands. Now, I know that when you look at your life, some of you are young, you know, really young, others of us are really old, you start to realize with all the mess that's in this world, all the mess that's in every church you're ever gonna be in, all the mess that's in your family, which is not, none of which is a surprise to God, but you realize this is a journey. This is a journey. And you're gonna have times when you're tempted to quit. 
When I was a little kid, five, six, seven years old, we, my family moved from Houston to Dallas. And I remember that highway that we were on, that super highway from Houston to Dallas. And we'd be traveling late at night, and it was just such a long trip. And uh, I would say, Dad, are we, are we almost there? And Dad would, Dad would get me, you know, kind of make some joke about that. But off in the distance, off in the distance, we could look because Texas is so flat. You could see the bright lights of the, of the skyscrapers of Dallas. Just beautiful, that, those light, that city that we were going to. And I knew that that's where we were headed. You know what the book of Hebrews says in chapter 11? Is that all the saints throughout history looked for the city that was to come. We looked for the city. You know what God has done too is that you guys were on this journey, we're on this journey to the city. There are reasons to remain faithful because Christ reveals and he restores and he reigns and there is a city that we're headed to. And also when you're on a long trip, you need to be able to take a pit stop, need to be able to stop at a subway and get some food. You know what God has given us for the journey to sustain us? The Lord's Supper, communion. Because it's a sacrament, visible words that exhibit the gospel, the good news. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper reveals the Lord Jesus Christ to us. Has he ever spoken to you? Yes, in the Lord's Supper, you commune with Christ, reveals him. It reminds you that he restores, that that sin in your life, you've tested positive, you've been prideful, you've been lustful, you've been angry, you've said harsh words, whatever you've done, he restores. And you come to the Lord's Supper, not because you're righteous, but because you know you need a savior. And you walk out of here with the joy of forgiveness, not because of self-righteousness or pride, because of what Christ did for you. And it reminds you that he reigns. It reminds you, it says, we, we, uh, we, we, we remember his death until he comes again. Christ will come and he will take us to that city. We're gonna go into the Lord's Supper right now and we're just gonna have a, a brief prayer in a moment. You have in your hands, hopefully, one of these little communion cups. If not, I think the deacons are willing to, you can raise your hand if you don't happen to have one. We've got gluten-free, we've got grape juice, and we've got wine. But this is the day, you guys, that we, we, we have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And it's not only a reminder, a great reminder, but it's also communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, the Bible teaches, says that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And it says in the same way he took the cup and said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is for anyone who knows they need a savior. If you haven't committed your life to Christ as savior, we would ask you to wait until such a time as you've put your faith in Christ because that's the most important thing. But if you're here today, you know that you're a sinner. You know that you've tested positive. Why not come to him in the Lord's Supper and believe the gospel and get that joy and that freedom? Would you pray with me? Lord, we give thanks to you for the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And we give thanks to you for who the Lord Jesus Christ is and for 
this meal that we're about to eat together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, take your bulletin, and we're gonna stand and affirm what we believe as Christians in the Apostles' Creed. So you can look that up, it's on the inside of your last page in your bulletin, and please stand, and we affirm this together. So be sure to speak, speak loudly and speak clearly and speak like you believe it, because Hebrews 1 just told us this was true, this is what we believe. So let's affirm it together. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.